you guys can have a seat. And if you could just stay in this attitude of, of prayer and worship as we go into God's word today, I, I, I just sense a, a, a very special uh, presence of God's peace today and uh, God's peace wanting to make an impact and a change on each of our lives. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, um, welcome to Fellowship Church. My name is Anthony Trask. I'm pastor here. If you're joining us online, welcome as well. Um, we are going into a series um, kind of that we're going to be in throughout the entire year called Exodus Journey, and we will break up this series so it doesn't get monotonous. Um, so we, we start today with the first part of this series. We're calling it The Sea, and then we're going to be going into a part uh, of the series focusing on, um, I think one's called The Law, another is called The Desert, um, one is called... Uh, I forget what we were calling them, but it's just four different parts. So what's important is that today is is, is the sea is what we're looking at today. And so as you leave, to leave today, there are there's a uh, an Egyptian photo booth. Um, and I was thinking about this with my kids yesterday. I'm like, we're actually going to talk about how evil and horrible the Egyptians were and how they're the enemy of the story. But go dress up like one and get your picture taken. And so I don't know. Why not? So if you want to get get a picture taken of this Egyptian photo booth, just it's, it's just for fun. It doesn't it has no spiritual significance. It's just for fun. Um, there's some um, some pharaoh uh, garb that you can put on, some pyramids, things like that. Um, I wanted to mention a couple announcements as we're getting started. Uh, you could take out your phone um, and pull up our app. It's FC Online. If you don't have that, you can download it. Uh, once I'm done talking about the app, if you could put your phone away and then not not mess with it during the rest of our time today, we'd like to create kind of a sacred space where there'd be no distractions. But there's a couple things want to point you to on the app. First of all, we have notes on the messages each week in here that have a lot of the scriptures that we read. This week, we're just focusing on, on one passage that's in the notes. Um, but there's a couple signups that we brought to you last week. We kind of went over a lot of our plans as a church last week and just kind of retouching on some of those things. We're, we're in the process of um, becoming free church. Um, so going from being fellowship church to embracing this new identity of, of being free. And um, we have some things we'd like to invite you into this freedom that we're walking in in Christ is, uh, one, we are in the process of starting a church in Oklahoma, and one of our assistant pastors is going um, this next Sunday. Um, but we're asking people here that are a part of Fellowship Church to come with us, kind of like on a, a mini missions trip, um, to come and help us launch uh, Fellowship Church Oklahoma. And so... If you're interested in going to Oklahoma with one of our staff over the course of this year, uh, you can sign up on the app, and we'd love to take you with us. I know um, I'll be going in December. It'd be great to bring a group of people uh, with us and just encourage uh, the church community that's forming there. That'd be amazing. Um, something else that we are passionate about this year is to start in missions again. Um, COVID has kind of put a pause to so many things, especially missions, but we're putting together a list uh, of people who may be interested in going to Brazil. Uh, we're going to have a fact-finding trip to Brazil here in the next couple of months, but then we're going to do a, a larger trip within the next year. And we showed an awesome video from our partners in Brazil last week of what they're doing. And then um, one more thing I'll point you to, there's a couple options, but one is we're going to be um, working on starting a school next year. So having a, uh, an FC school uh, in South Salem, um, we believe strongly that we need to have an option for the children specifically in our church uh, to have a Christian education, and we're going to have an interest meeting on November the 14th. If you're interested in um, sending your kids to the school, if you're interested in joining um, the, the 
launch team for this school. It's going to take an incredible amount of planning and work and effort and finances. And so if you are interested in that or have some experience in education or starting a school, we're going to start to develop a team who can launch the school um, as soon as God allows, but the goal is for next school year to start that. So those are some things I just want to point you to. Um, but if you could, like I said, just kind of put your phone away, put it on silent. Um, we, we don't want your I'm bringing sexy back ringtone to, to play uh, while we're in the middle of this message. That We've had that and so many great, great ringtones play throughout the years. It's good Macklemore a couple months ago, some good country music every once in a while if there was such a thing. So um, Genesis 15 is what we're going to open up with today. This is, um, this is a hard series to kind of start um, because you kind of look at the book of Exodus and just ask, where do you start? And where we're going to start in this series is uh, about 4,000 years ago, about 2,000 years before Jesus um, in the ancient Near East, or what we refer to today as, as the Middle East, um, there is a man in a region that was called Ur. Um, it's pretty likely, if, if not certain, that Ur, spelled U-R, was kind of where modern-day Iraq would be today. Uh, but there's a man that lives in Ur, and Ur is a, a pagan place uh, where false gods were worshipped. And there was a man there by the name of Abram. And God, um, the, the Israelite God, the God of the Bible, the God of Christianity, uh, God has a name. Sometimes we don't focus on that, but God's name is Yahweh, and Yahweh exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Yahweh, the God of what would become Israel, the God of all creation, the God of Scripture, um, sends a, a message, speaks to this man named Abram, and Abram has no idea who Yahweh is, had never heard of him before, this would have been incredibly foreign to this people to have just one God. And thus, Abram is kind of the father of what we call monotheistic religions, uh, uh, religions, movements of one God. Uh, but God, Yahweh, calls Abram and, and tells him to leave where he was and, and to follow him. And he just basically blindly trusts God and, and follows God into what God has for him. And the specific promise that, that Yahweh has for Abram is that he would bless Abram and that the entire world would be blessed through Abram's offspring, through his children, through his lineage, his family. But the only problem was is that a Abram did not have any children. And by this time in his life, was was relatively old uh, for this particular time in history, uh, past the age of, of what would be considered normal childbearing. Um, but he has no kids. And so you can follow the story of Abram starting in Genesis chapter 12, and, and the story of his family leads us all the way to the end of the book of Genesis chapter 50. Uh, but there's this, this pretty cool story in Genesis of Abram rescuing his nephew uh, named Lot. Uh, Lot is kidnapped uh, by kind of a coalition of, of foreign raiders, kings, if you will, um, Abram rescues them, and Abram is really doubting God's call on his life at this point. And so uh, at this point, I want to just kind of pause before we look at Abram's doubt, and I want to talk about dreams for a minute. I'm going to get my water over here. Um, talk about dreams. How many of you have had some bizarre dreams before, strange dreams? Um, fevers produce interesting dreams, don't they? 
Um, sometimes you're not sure if you're awake or asleep when you have a fever dream. Um, being exposed to the sun for a long time causes some strange dreams. Um, if you ever have spent a day on a boat before, um, sometimes like laying in bed um, after you've been on a boat, you feel like you're still moving, and there's very bizarre uh, kind of transition between sleep and wake and dream and reality, and we have some weird dreams. Um, cold medicine produces some interesting dreams. Um, illegal medicines produce some very interesting dreams. So dr dreams are a fascinating thing. Anybody ever have a recurring dream before? A dream we've had multiple times? I've had a couple in my life, and it's, it's bizarre. Dreams are strange, and um, it's sometimes it's hard to know. Sometimes you'll wake up and you'll not know, was that real? Is it a memory? Is it a dream? Um, my wife has woke up several times throughout our marriage, just ticked at me um, because of something I did in her dream. And you're just like, you can't win even when you're sleeping. Um, and so there are things that just cause some, some pretty bizarre dreams. A couple nights ago, I had a dream where I was with this, this group of people, and I don't usually know who is in my dream. I just know, like, I know these people, but I don't know who they are. Or sometimes the people represent people in my life, but it's not really them. And we were just like, we're teleporting all over the place by putting our hands on a wall. Well, because that's normal, right? Like, everybody put your hands on the wall, teleport from place to place, because this is totally a normal thing. And I don't think I've woke up from that dream yet. I still feel pretty strange about it. Or we could eat stuff that produces weird dreams. Yesterday, uh, for lunch, I had a, a healthy meal of, no, was it honey bunches of oats? Like, a couple of bowls. And it threw me off the rest of the day. And I felt like, like, this is my wild life. Like, I ate two bowls <laughs> of honey bunches of oats. And, it, man, it produced some crazy dreams. Um, but it did. You know, it, it did. And so we have these weird dreams. And, and here is a story in, in Genesis about Abram. And, and, by the way, Abram's name is later changed to Abraham. This story we literally never talk about within Christianity, within the church especially in regard to the story of Exodus. And so I've always just kind of passed over this passage, but we can get a lot from it. And so we're going to start our Exodus journey in Genesis 15. It says, after these things, verse 1, that's after Abram rescues Lot. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And so he had a, a servant that was within his household who would become the heir of all he had. And in verse 3, Abram says to God, Behold, you've given me no offspring, no real children. A member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram, and God said, This man shall not be your heir, Eliezer will not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. The only problem was he did not have one. And God brought Abram outside and said this, Look toward the heaven and number the stars. If you are able to, to number them, number the stars. How many of you enjoy looking at the stars in the night sky? There's really no grander view, especially if you can get away from city lights and see the stars that you can't see when they're drowned out 
by lights. And, and Abram living 4,000 years ago, um, you know, literally would have been um, in likely a desert climate with, with no lights obstructing this view. And of course, he can't count the stars. So, so look at all these stars, Abram. Can, can you count them? Like, there's just so many. And God said, so shall your offspring be. This is how many kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-great-grandkids and so on and so on and so on. This is how many kids you're going to have. If, if you are struggling with the fact that you don't have a son, this is how many sons you'll have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to Abram as righteousness. This is where Abram becomes the father of our faith. It is not through Abram's works or obedience or deeds or thoughts or words that make him righteous before God because he is not righteous. But God saw Abram's faith and credited to Abram righteousness, perfection, holiness that was not his but was God's. And that was a righteousness that would never be fulfilled until 2,000 years later with the birth of his descendant, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, who would very much be God in the flesh, who would live a life without sin, who would die a death in our place that we deserve to die on a Roman executioner's cross, bearing all the wrath of the Father for our sins, who would rise from the grave three days later, defeat Satan, sin, hell, and death, who would give us the free gift of grace, which is forgiveness of sins, restored relationship with God, and everlasting life. Jesus would ascend to the Father in heaven, where we await today, 4,000 years later after Abram, we await his return to inhabit the righteousness of God. And so Abram was looking forward to righteousness that only God can give, and we are looking backward to a righteousness that only God gives through Jesus Christ. So Abram's looking 2,000 years into the future. You and I are looking 2,000 years into the past to the same event, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which brings to us righteousness. You see, God sees through time. God sees from where you are and where you can see into a distant future where all of your blessings, all of his promises and all of his plans are realized. And that's what looking into the stars represented for Abram. And what's interesting is when we look up into the stars, we actually are not looking at the present. We're not even looking at the future. When we look at the stars, do you know that we're actually seeing the past? Because the light from those stars, it took many light years, sometimes many, many light years to get to us. And so we're looking at events that happened sometimes tens of thousands of years ago. And so he's looking into the past literally with his eyes. As God is saying, look into the future, and your future is going to be far greater than the past you're looking at or the past that you've experienced. And so in Genesis 15, here's where we really don't talk about. We, we oftentimes talk about that whole thing, like look at the stars. That's what your descendants will be. And so it says in verse 7, God said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And so this tells us he is in what is today modern-day Israel. He is standing on this land. He is having this encounter with God. 
And God's now saying, you're going to be a blessing to the entire world through your son that you will have, even though you don't have a son. Your descendants will be more than the stars, and I will give you this land, which, by the way, was the very land that Jesus was crucified on. And Abram says, oh, Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess this land? So Abram already has faith that he's going to have a son and his descendants will be great. God credits that to him as righteousness. And then Abram says, but, but the land too? How do I know that this will be the land? God said to him, this is where it gets strange, bring me a heifer or a cow, bring me a cow three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Well, that's pretty normal, right? Like some, you're having a conversation with someone like, hey, um, you'd, like, you'd like to know a little more. Before our conversation can continue, before I can offer you this job, can you bring me some cows and goats and doves? Because uh, it's, it's just normal stuff, right? But it, we're, we're talking about 4,000 years ago. We're, we're talking about culture and time and place and people where this was not strange. Uh, what God is saying is we're going to make a covenant we're going to make a covenant. I'm going to promise you that this is going to happen. Well, God, how will I know that your promise is going to come true? I'm going to prove it through a covenant. And covenants are something we don't really do anymore. But marriage is supposed to be a covenant. And we have a marriage ceremony that shows that the covenant we're making is one that will stand. And so it says in verse 10, Abram brought God all these animals. And he cut them in half and laid them each half over against the other. Perfectly normal. Don't just bring these animals, but cut them in half. Lay them on the ground so that each bloody, gory, open wound faces the other. Oh, yes, God. Anything you say. Again, this is normal for the time. This is how a covenant was made. Here's, what, here's why, by the way. This is not just weird stuff. What would happen, and the reason behind this, they say, we, we will cut these animals in half. Number one, these animals are incredibly expensive. This would be like taking your grocery bill for the year and be like, rip up the money. Cut it in half. This is an incredibly expensive endeavor. They would cut these animals in two. And then when a covenant was made, the two parties making the agreement would walk in between the severed parts of the animals. Well, Pastor, that sounds cultish. It, it's, it's not. It would be today, but, but not then. And so what they're doing is they're saying, if I break the promise, may I become like one of these. Basically, if, if I break the promise, then cut me in half. And so I'm willing to sacrifice these animals. I'm willing to sacrifice the food they represent. I'm willing to sacrifice how much money it costs me to purchase these animals. And I'm going to walk between them. And if I break my promise or if you break your promise, I can break you in half. And if I break the promise, you can break me in half. Good? Yeah, it's all right. And so that's, that's what's happening. This is a normal thing that would have happened in this culture. It says that Abram did not cut the birds in half. Uh, a lot of speculation. We don't know what's going on there, but he didn't cut the birds in half. And then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. So likely some vultures come by. They're, they're wanting to eat 
the carcasses of these animals. And Abram's like, whoa, this is our covenant ceremony. Don't get too crazy, vultures. Um, These are my dead animals. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Now, pause. He's got severed cow all about him. Broken goats all over the place. Dead birds on the ground. What a great place to lay down and sleep in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the night where it's pitch dark. How many of you are feeling confident about this camping trip? So he lays down, he falls into a sleep. It says, Behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. This is where we usually pass over. Dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. You ever gone to bed or or woke up in the middle of the night with just an utter sense of darkness and foreboding? Just an utter sense of of fear, of evil? You ever had that happen before? I hear people tell stories that we we describe as sleep paralysis, where where they, they, they awake in the night in a terror and they can't move, um, but they're, they're kind of conscious. Um, I, I've had to be, like, bunk up with people over the night at conferences and things, or I, I woke up in the middle of the night with a, a friend I had to share a room with and just went into utter sleep terror and sleep paralysis and terrified me to this day. Um, I think I was more scared than he was. Um, he didn't warn me about that. Um, but at least there wasn't cows cut in half when I woke up. Um, but the, this is just interesting. This is like, well, God's promised all this good stuff, and then, like, darkness, foreboding. Um, not evil, because, because you're going to see God's in this, but, but it, it probably felt evil. And it says, Behold, the dreadful uh, great darkness fell upon Abram, and the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners. I didn't research this, um, but I, I will later today. I, I think this is the only time where God says something like this, know for certain. Uh, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Um, this is 2000 B.C., roughly. Abram says, I don't have any kids. God's like, I got that covered. You're going to have kids. And they're going to live in this land. How will I know that this is going to be their land? Um, Darkness, foreboding, dark, scary, nightmare. God says, no for certain. You will have offspring, Abram. And there's going to be a season. They won't be here on this land. They're going to have this land, but they're going to be sojourners in a land that's not theirs for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. Um, We're going to find out they're going to be slaves. God's going to bring judgment on the masters they serve. And afterward, your descendants will come out of the land they have sojourned in with great possessions. It's, it's going to be dark. It's going to be 400 years of darkness, but I'll bring them back, and they'll leave with more than what they came with. As for you, Abram, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. 
And I wrestled with this passage right there because um, I am concerned about the life of my grandchildren that I don't have yet. I'm concerned about the life of my great-grandchildren that I don't have yet. And I'm concerned with the life of my great-great-grandchildren that I don't have yet. And so if God told me, hey, your great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren are going to really struggle, but you're going to have a peaceful death. I, I don't know if I'm comforted by that, to be honest. Like, and I think, I think God wants Abram to feel this tension, this angst, and this, this, forebode, this foreboding feeling. And God says this, don't, don't worry, your descendants will come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Huh, what? They're going to come back because some foreign people haven't sinned enough yet? And once they've sinned enough, then they'll go back home? Verse 17 says, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between the pieces. I'm out. <laughs> it's like, if it wasn't weird enough, you're sleeping between torn apart bodies. You are having this horrible nightmare of your descendants being enslaved. And you wake up out of this fever dream to like, oh, no big deal again. Just a floating fire pot with smoke. But for whatever reason, God reveals himself to Abram this way. Um, there's a lot of significance visually of what's going on here. But either way, this represents God. And, and what is God doing? He's going between the pieces. What God is saying, he's answering Abram's question. How will I know that my inhabitants will live on this land that I'm sleeping on? And God says, let's make a covenant. But notice what Abram does not do in the covenant. Abram never walked between the pieces of the animals. He goes into this dark dream, and when he wakes up, God's already doing it. This is showing that this is an unconditional covenant. God's like, it's, I've spoken, and it's so. It's happening. No matter what you do, your son does, your grandson does, your great-grandson does, or any of their descendants, no matter what they do, even if your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson strikes a rock more than I tell him to and he doesn't get to go, it's still happening. It's an unconditional promise, covenant, election. Your people are coming here and nothing you can do can stop what I can do. On that day, the Lord made the covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt, that's the Nile, to the great river, the Euphrates, which was in Ur, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And that's the end of a strange night for Abram. Here's what I want you to know. Even within God's promises, darkness falls. Darkness falls due to the darkness of men's hearts. But God takes what the enemy means for evil, and he uses it for what? For good. He uses it for good for those who are called by him. 
And for those who are called by him, like Abram, like Isaac, like Jacob, like Joseph, like Moses, like Joshua, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. It just might not feel good on the journey. God is working all things together for good if you're called by him. But it might not feel good on the way. You ever had a time where it didn't feel good on the way, but once you got there, it was good? That's, that's really life, and this is what Abram is experiencing here. Here within this dark prophetic dream, God lets Abram see 300 years into the future to let him know that even though things may seem dark from time to time, God's light is always right around the corner. Your life might seem dark from time to time, but God's light is always right around the corner. And in this dark future, Abram's offspring would be enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, but God would use it to judge the evil of Egypt and Egypt's false gods. We'll focus a lot on that. And use it to bless Abram's descendants with great possessions. And send them back to this land promised to Abram at just the right time when the current inhabitants of this land's sin was so great that God would bring about their destruction and he would use Abram's children to do it. We sang a song today called Waymaker. God is a waymaker, yes, but God is also a history maker. You see, God sovereignly ordains and works out the events of history to culminate in his ultimate plan. And God does this all while taking into account the decisions of each person, taking into account sin, justice, righteousness, judgment, salvation, blessings, his will, and his glory. And so you might say, Pastor, how can God sovereignly ordain the events of history if I can make free decisions on my own? Yes. How can God navigate nations and kings and empires and kingdoms and dictators and presidents and armies? And yet the the least of these in those nations can make their own choices and decisions. How does that work, pastor? I'm not God. I don't know. But he does. You see, Abram is warned And Abram has promised this inevitable future. And I often wonder, like, and and I actually don't think he did. Like, did Abram tell anybody about this dream? Because maybe they they would have done something about it. Like, did, did this get passed down orally from generation to generation? I don't think so. Because I think that they would have tried to stop what God was doing and, and made a mess of it. You see, God has a plan for our lives. God has a plan for our nation. God has a plan for our culture and for our generation. God has a plan for COVID-19. God has a plan for this season of turmoil. God has a plan for our politics, and God has a plan for our president. God has a plan for Hollywood. God has a plan for tech giant companies and the billionaires who run them. God has a plan for the church this generation and this season of the church, church leaders, and even local churches. 
And God's plan for all of these things always include both judgment and salvation. And if you walk away with one thing today, let it be this. Here's our main point. Our individual role in God's plan is one of two things. Your individual role in God's great scheme of history is one of two things. It is rebellion or submission. It is, will you rebel against God and his plan, or will you submit to God and his plan? That is your role. Now, God might use you with your free decision-making, your free choices, your free will, if you will. God may use you, and he may orchestrate you to bring about his grand schemes for human history, but yet still you must either submit or uh, reject him. Those are your two choices. God's looking for submission to him and to his plans. And in both, whether you accept and submit or you reject and disobey, God will still work it for his good, but you might miss out on it. You'll miss out on God's good ultimate plan if you reject him, if you join in the spiritual rebellion that's been taking place since the garden, or if you would submit to God's grand plans for history. And even for your life, you can experience the good that God's working all things towards. So what we're going to do in this series is we're going to watch this dark yet encouraging vision of Abram play out as his descendants would make their exodus journey from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land, led by Moses, his brother Aaron, and eventually a young man named Joshua. And this is a freedom that they would squander from time to time and time and time again. And the freedom that they would be walking towards would be a freedom that would never be realized until Jesus Christ who offers you and I the ultimate freedom from the slavery of sin. And it's a free gift of grace that God gives to all who, like Abram, believe God in faith. And when we step into freedom, when we step out of Egypt and into our freedom, the freedom we step into in Christ, it becomes an exodus journey. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but we do not yet dwell in a land of perfection and righteousness. And in fact, that will not happen until Jesus returns. And so we walk by faith in the righteousness God gives, the salvation of Christ, and then we begin this journey that God's taking us on until he restores all things and makes all things new. And while we're on this journey where God has already freed us, God expects us then to live as we are called, and that is free. And that's why Galatians says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. God set you free from sin. Why would you continue to live in it? Why don't you live in the presence of the Spirit of God? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let's finish this today by looking at the first few verses in Exodus 1, and we're going to set ourselves up for the birth of a baby in this account next week, a baby that the Bible strangely two times calls beautiful. Some people don't have beautiful babies, Um, but this one was. 
But if it's your baby, it's beautiful. Okay. So 600 years after the prophecy to Abram is given, um, Abram's great-grandson, Joseph, the son of Jacob, who we know as Israel, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, Joseph ends up as the second in command of the entire land of Egypt. And you say, well, Pastor, explain how that happened. It's, it's a lot. Re- read it in Genesis. Uh, but Joseph has his brothers and his father, Israel, seek refuge in Egypt during a time of famine. And there, approximately 70 of Joseph's family, the family of Israel, would go to live in a land the Egyptians called Goshen. But eventually, as all people do, Joseph and his immediate family dies. And the Israelites, after his death, multiply greatly in number in the land of Egypt. And over time, the Egyptian rulers forget about Joseph. And they forget about the promises made to Joseph by the previous pharaoh. And so with the paranoia the Egyptians have of this growing Israelite population, they're worried that the Israelites are going to rebel, that they're going to rise up, um, and that they will find their freedom by gaining up with an enemy of Egypt to battle them. And so what the Egyptians do is they decide, well, what should we do to stop this from happening? Well, we should oppress them while their population is still small enough to control, and we will make them slaves to serve us. So Exodus 1, verse 12 and 14, it says, The more the Israelites were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. But God's kingdom always grows under oppression. God's kingdom always advances during times of persecution. It did in Egypt. It did in Rome. It does today in China and in the Middle East and places where Christianity is outlawed. It actually grows under the oppression. And so the population is growing. Egypt is getting more and more nervous that Israel is going to overtake them. And so the Pharaoh Pharaoh sets out on a mission of genocide. And he demands that all of the Israel the Israelite midwives, they're called Hebrews because that's the language they spoke. All of the Hebrew midwives who were present when the Hebrew women gave birth ordered them to kill the male children born to Israelite women. Uh, this is known as uh, infanticide, killing of infants. It's, it's genocide, killing off a particular group of people. And so what would these midwives do? These midwives were single mostly younger women who did not have children of their own who would help out in the delivery of the babies there in the land of Goshen. And in verse 17, we find out what happens. It says, The midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, 
because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to help them deliver. So God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. A um, couple more minutes. We'll wrap this up real quick. There's just a few points before we find out about the birth of a male child next week. Number one is this. It's not godly to comply with ungodly laws. It is not godly to comply with ungodly laws. In Hebrews 13, it says, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Acts 5, Peter and the apostles answered when they were released from prison, we must obey God rather than men. It is not godly to obey ungodly laws. It's not ungodly, this is tough, it's not ungodly to lie in order to save a life. It's not ungodly to lie in order to save a life. Say, well, pastor, you can never tell a lie. Okay, so someone bangs on your door and says, I'm going to kill your child are they in the closet? Are you going to say, yes, go murder them? Or will you say, no, they are not here? It is not ungodly to lie to save a life. Jesus actually talks about how you should help spare life at the expense of the law. And so for these midwives' faithfulness to God, to life, to justice, and to righteousness over legalistic obedience, God blesses them by giving them children of their own. And so some people say, these midwives sinned. Look, God dealt with them. Yeah, dealt with them by blessing them. Dealt with them by giving them children of their own. You see, this is hard. This is my boldness, but here we go. I fear that so many Christians today, so ready to believe and to trust and to comply with anything the media, the government, or culture says would have been the first in line to put the male Israelites to death out of a self-righteous desire to signal their virtue and to fit in with whatever is deemed normal in their culture. But we weren't called to be Pharisees. We weren't called to be Roman sympathizers. And we weren't called to be good Hebrew slaves. We were called to be disciples. We were called to be free. And oftentimes that freedom comes with all kinds of expenses of your cultural status, your worldly positions, and your very life. It is better to stand out and to step up as a slave and lose your life as a result than it is to fit in and never truly live and experience freedom. It is better, it is better to die free than it is to live a slave. And for that, these young women risked it all they saved a generation, and they were part of God's plans for Abraham, his descendants, their freedom, the Messiah, and our salvation. If those women would have complied, you and I would not be here today. So when the Pharaoh saw his plans for killing the male Israelites at birth were not successful, he made a more public edict, which leads us to the introduction of the hero. Exodus 1, 22. Then the Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Okay, these ladies didn't comply. They, they disobeyed. They are not going to 
fit in, even if it means their death. But God blessed them, didn't he? And so, okay, now what? if any Egyptian sees any male Israelite boy who is a baby, just, just drown them. You say, Pastor, I can't imagine something like that happening today. It's happening. It's happening. Look at abortion rates for certain populations in our country. It is happening. It is happening. There are generations of people that are lost because we do the exact same thing. And God wants people to live. God wants people to be free. God wants people to not be in bondage of slavery to their sin, and he wants to lead them into a freedom, a freedom of obedience that will cost everything but be worth it all. So if you want to bow your heads, get your heart in a a state of prayer as we close this time with a song of worship. I was sharing with my friend uh, Nathan the other day, who's a Bible scholar, and we were talking about how when you, when you go what's called exegetically through a passage of Scripture like this, it's, it's hard to preach on because it's hard to know, like, hey, what do we want to focus on as we, as we leave? Because there's a lot going on here. What do we, we want to do? Well, I already told you that the thing I'd like you to focus on most of all is that everyone plays a role in God's plan. And your role is submission or rebellion. Submission or rejection. Will you reject God's plan for history and for your life, or will you submit to him? Submitting to him, when we do submit to him, he does make all things work together for good. But just remember, it doesn't always feel good on the way. And for those 400 years of slaves in Egypt, it's safe to say it never felt real good. But for those who stayed faithful to God, it feels pretty good right now. God doesn't promise us the absence of struggle and trial and persecution on this earth. He promises us a better earth. That's the one we're on a journey to. And while we are on this journey, we will submit We will obey, we will follow, and we will walk in the freedom that God has for us. And you might not be wealthy and have all the nice things and be healthy all the time or be happy all the time, but I am just telling you that no eye has seen, that no ear has heard, and no no heart has ever imagined what God has in store for those who love him. Some in this life, but even more so in life as it will be unveiled before us. I don't like to say the next life because this life never actually ends. We just keep living whether our body is alive or not. And we will either live with Christ or live apart from him and and live with him in freedom or apart from him in rebellion. To live apart from God in rebellion is not life at all. It's the opposite. And so remember, whatever difficulty you're going through, As the song we just sang said, even in all cheesiness, like even when you don't see it, God is working on those things. 
He is working. It might seem hard now, but, but he has a plan. It is unveiling. It is being revealed, and you are a part of it. Just hold on. What's at the end of this plan is just phenomenal. Keep your faith. Hold on. Keep submitting. Keep following. Keep trusting. Keep obeying. God's got something great for you in freedom, and slavery will never give you what freedom has. So he's working it out. And while we're on this journey, you must make decisions like these midwives made. Will we fit in or will we stand out? Will we sit down on the sidelines or will we step up to make a change and a difference? Will we submit to God or to men? Because you can't do both. Do you fear God or do you fear what man can do to you? Jesus said, don't fear anybody who can put you to death. Fear the one who has the ability to judge your soul. Trust God, not, not men. And so in this, you're, you're going to be forced and faced with all sorts of things over the next whatever time you have left in this physical body. Where you're going to have to make midwife-type decisions. Do I comply? Or do I... Um, actually submit to God instead. And just to be clear, like you might say, well, pastor is talking 100% about the vaccine. I, I'm not, because you can get, if you need to get vaccinated, wonderful. That's, that's your choice to do so. This is, this is, life's a lot more important than just things like political things and vaccine things, which are important things, but there's a lot bigger stuff going on. So you, you do what God calls you to do and what your conscience allows you to do. I'm talking about big things. If someone says, you can't worship anymore. You can't read this part of Scripture anymore. You can't gather with believers anymore. What do you do? You submit to God. You do what he says. Because man does not live on bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need what God says, not what culture says, but what God says. Would you pray with me? God, uh, we, we submit this time to you. Lord, uh, thank you for giving us a glimpse into this strange night that Abram experienced. God, so many of us experience strange nights, strange nights of, of darkness, of evil, of trial, of tribulation. And God, though you don't promise to remove those things in this life as we know it, thank you that we have hope of a life where those things no longer exist. God, thank you for showing Abram the future that he could put faith in. And God, thank you for showing us the past that we could put faith in. And that faith is put not in the future or the past, but in you, Jesus. In you, Jesus, the one who was, who is, who is to come. All of our trust and our faith is, is just simply placed in you. God, if there's anyone who has not trusted in you for their salvation from the slavery that they experienced to sin, may you free them, may you convict them of their sin and show them they are slaves. May you give them faith to trust in you, their Savior. 
as they follow and choose you, may you continue to convict them and draw them closer to you and by your kindness lead them to repentance and through your spirit grow them and strengthen them so they know what to say yes to and they know what to say no to and they know what to live for and they know what to die for. In Jesus' name.